how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Hello and welcome back to the Imperfect Podcast. I'm Riley Brock and it's my job and pleasure each week to chat with folks focused on making the world a more delicious and less wasteful place. Like a lot of you, I've been spending a lot of time in the kitchen lately and I've definitely experienced some cooking burnout and frustrations as a result. You know, I love cooking, honestly, but sometimes I don't feel equally excited about all the vegetables I have in my fridge. So for me lately, it's been zucchinis that tend to end up in the bottom of my crisper drawer, kind of neglected and sad. And I would imagine a lot of you listening have had this experience too with veggies at some point in your life. Today's guest took this familiar feeling of not knowing how to turn a veggie into dinner and transformed it into an exciting new food company. She's the founder of Down to Cook Foods, a company that empowers people to turn their favorite or least favorite veggies into easy, delicious, and protein-packed meals. She's also got a PhD in chemical engineering and has stand-up comedy experience under her belt, and I'm truly delighted to have her with us today. Trishma Seigal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure. I'm really excited. I've actually been cooking with your or your product a lot recently, uh, and I've been really pleasantly surprised. If I can be honest, I was skeptical at first when I when I saw it. I was I didn't understand it, and having cooked with it a couple times now, I'm in love, and I think it's something I'm going to be seeking out. But for people who haven't tried it, let's start with what is your core product, and how did this company come to be? Yeah, sure. So our core product is called Add a Veggie. It's a plant protein mix that you would blend with a fresh vegetable, and then you can use it as a ground meat alternative. So you could you know, take broccoli, you would rice it, add the protein mix, then you could form it into patties, balls, or as a crumble, and substitute it in any of your favorite meals that use a ground meat. And, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. It is a hard product to explain. And at first, because there's nothing like this, a lot of folks are like, what is it? How do I use it? Um, even though I say use it like you would a ground meat, it's still kind of a new concept. But really what I wanted to do was help people cook with fresh veggies um, and give them a new tool um, that makes veggies the center of plate and makes them satisfying. So the approach I took was, you know, one, adding the protein helps give the satiety that veggie-centric meals lack. But also uh, I really focused on adding texture, you know, giving veggies a nice crisp and chew and holding in the moisture um, so that it could be a really satisfying meal and kind of stand up to me while not trying to mimic meat. Like I'm not trying to taste like a steak or a burger, but um, just kind of give veggies the boost um, to be the center of plate. So that was really my focus. Um, and a lot of the reason I started um, with this product is because I felt like there was a lack of healthy and accessible plant-based items, right? You yeah. know, like the Beyond Meats are, are great when you're having a burger craving, but it's not something that you should eat every day. Um, and also they're quite pricey. So it kind of, you know, excludes a lot of people that I think are looking for plant-based food. Um, so I was really focused on healthy and affordable. Um, and that's how Add a Veggie came to life. It's, it's, that's really neat and really cool. You know, I, I love this, this origin story that is because it is a really familiar problem. So is, was this an issue you had had yourself, this idea of just not quite knowing how to incorporate a veggie or like make it into a full meal? Yeah, totally. Um, we, we, you know, I'm most, I've been eating vegetables my whole life, um, but I really went strictly vegetarian the last year and a half. 
And, you know, at some point you kind of get tired of like, you know, tofu and beans as your protein source and you're kind of always looking for variety. Um, my go-to is really like making uh, Indian meals because they're like kind of the easiest for me to do vegetarian in a satisfying way. But even then, like, like I'm tired of eating mushy vegetables, you know, yep. and I need something that kind of stands up. Um, so definitely came out of a, a personal need. And, you know, I still like, of course, I've made the product for my own needs, but it's something that I use a lot because I can make it in so many different ways. Um, you know, one day we can make pasta with eggplant meatballs and the next day we can do like, you know, an Indian dish where I could substitute it and do like keema or something. Um, so it definitely came out of a personal need. But the more I talked to people, like we did farmer's markets for a while, um, I realized it was something that a lot of people were looking for. And not all our customers are vegetarians. Like half of them, I think, are flexitarians. Yep. Um, they're like, if I am going to eat meat, I'm going to eat real meat. And then when I'm not, I want to eat something whole foods based. But I don't know what to do with plant-based food. That So it kind of like, I realized it was not just me who had this problem with kind of you know, there was a whole segment of people that are not finding options in plant-based eating. So that was really good to hear. Um, and that's kind of where things kind of excelled. Totally. Yeah. And I, I love yeah. this idea of empowering the omnivores out there too, because it's not just vegetarians and vegans that want plant-based protein. I think a lot of us these days are reading literature and watching documentaries and seeing studies that say, hey, all of us should really be eating more vegetables, even if you do eat meat and dairy. But I've definitely felt, you know, myself like sometimes you can burn out on lentils and beans, or maybe you just literally run out of them, uh, right? Like that's the thing I've been having a lot recently, you know, with the, with the COVID grocery shopping habits, it's been <laughs> easy to stock up, but then sometimes you just, you burn through your supply. And what I love about your product, again, is it really makes it versatile. Like whatever you have in your kitchen, you can mobilize into a protein packed dinner. And it's kind of a chameleon where like I've noticed it can go with so many different things you have around, which, which I really like, you know, can you elaborate a bit on like, what are some of the ways you can use um, the add a veggie mix? Like how can you turn it into meals or ingredients? Yeah, that, um, that's a great way. I like the chameleon. I haven't used that before. I might add that. In. <laughs> please, please do um, steal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like our favorites are, you know, we make a lot of burgers with broccoli. It works really well with rice broccoli. And if you don't want to deal with, you know, cutting vegetables, like you can buy a lot of rice veggies off the shelf, like that broccoli and cauliflower. Um, so burgers are great. Um, but you know, I use it in, in tacos a lot. I use it to make um, Indian food that has usually ground meat, like there's a dish called keema where it's just like usually ground lamb mm. um, and you add, you know, peas and tomatoes. Um, so I'll substitute it with that with cauliflower. Um, meatballs is another favorite. I, I love eggplant. It's like one of my favorite veggies. So I do eggplant with the mix and then I make like meatballs and use it in either a spaghetti or like in a eggplant parm. Um, so there's like a variety, like the options are limitless, which can be great if you're like, very enthusiastic about experimenting in the kitchen. It can also be a little difficult for some folks. So I try to like give really specific recipes and I focus on the burger, the meatballs, but really like, you know, there's just so many different ways you could use it. Yeah, really, really neat stuff. Again, like, I don't want to harbor it too much, but I was honestly skeptical at first. Like, and I, I was almost, I didn't want this episode or even my experience of it to seem like a paid promotion because it wasn't, you know, I, but I, I got a sample from you. And I was, I looked at the package. I was like, what is this? Why would I use it? But I tried using it. And I will say one, it's very intuitive to use. Like the instructions are super clear and it's super flexible. Uh, like, you know, again, we've been using it a lot with squash and zucchini, but like you said, you can use it with broccoli. You can use it with some onions, some mushrooms, some spinach. Like I can already see the possibilities and I've already kind of riffed on it a couple of different ways. Like we made, um, we use the chipotle, there's like an adobo one, right? 
Mm-hmm. So we did like yeah. a taco filling with that one night. We used it to like stuff acorn squash another night, made veggie meatballs with it. And now I'm just thinking aloud, but I really could see it shining like a kebab format, you know, almost like um, a skewer or grilled or kind of almost like replicating a shawarma or a falafel type experience. Like I think it just lends itself so well to creativity. Like it doesn't really confine you in the kitchen, which is, that's really neat to see from a packaged product, I think. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, kebabs. It's funny that you said that because I, I literally just did that for Father's Day. Um, I blended beet, red beets with cauliflower, so it, it kind of looked a little meaty. Yeah. Um, and we did kebabs on the barbecue. And it was mm. awesome. Delightful. Um, but, but yeah, the the fact that it's kind of a pantry item, that's what I'm hoping. It'll be something that people just kind of keep in their kitchen and they can use with whatever veggies they have on hand, or if they want to plan like kind of an elaborate meal, they can do you know really creative things with it too. Um, but the shelf stability, the dry mix part of it was part designed so that um, it can be something that you can have on hand and can be convenient. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. To me, it just strikes me as like kind of the ultimate sidekick in the kitchen, which is cool. Like we, we all need that, especially these days, folks are cooking at home a lot, having to be intuitive and adaptive. You know, I, I'd love to hear a bit about your background because you have a PhD in chemical engineering. I'm, I'm really curious, how did this shape your view of food and how you think about food? Yeah. So it's kind of a funny story. Like I, so my PhD was in complex fluids, um, specifically emulsions. Okay. So how oil and water mixtures are stabilized. Um, and then I got my first job at Clorox and a lot of people don't know this, but Clorox owns Hidden Valley Ranch. So my first job was making ranch dressing <laughs> and, um, they hired me because they wanted someone to be able to figure out how to lower the fat in ranch, but still maintain the creamy texture. Um, and a lot of, you know, ranch lovers can really detect small differences in the change in texture and flavor. Um, so I took kind of a more physical chemistry approach to it. Um, and that was really the start of my love in like formulating food. Um, I love to think about how food comes together, how the proteins in a system interact with the fat, and then how the flavors that you have in there, like garlic or different herbs can then be expressed based on that, um, food structure. So I've been kind of taking that approach uh, my whole career. You know, I've worked there and then I've also worked in plant-based food in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, plant-based is even harder because these are new products we're trying to make. We're trying to use plant proteins to, you know, do very different things with like make cheeses and meats out of them. Um, so I, I take kind of a structural approach, but I would say even before I got into food, like I've always been kind of a health nut and love thinking about creative ways to eat healthy. So for me, it's kind of come full circle. Like I had that um, as just kind of a personal lifestyle thing. And then I have this expertise of how to understand how to build food. Um, and now I have this opportunity to build something that I truly you know, believe in and feel is healthy and good to be part of this food system. Um, so yeah, I was actually kind of thinking about when you were asking me this earlier, um, like, what is it that, because chemical engineer and food sounds scary. I know that. <laughs> a little bit, people. yeah. Yeah. But I think what um, what it's helped with me is like being able to discern what's good to buy as a processed product versus not. Um, like for example, you know, when I first started, I was like, I'm going to eat completely plant based, eat everything made from home, and see where the pain points are. And you know, one thing I did a lot of was making plant based milk. And I yep. used to work at a plant based milk company before, um, and I made almond milk, and the yield was terrible. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of you know, expense to buy the almonds. I was like, you know, this is one thing that's worth buying because having a centrifuge is worth it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have one lying around your kitchen. (laughs) Yeah. Right. No. (laughs) So, 
you know, and then, you know, that versus something that's like fully processed, you know, veggie patty with lots of like artificial binders and flavors and things like that, you know, that's where I can figure out where to draw the line, I guess, is what I'm saying. Cause cooking from scratch is not doable for everyone. Um, most people these days. So, you know, we're trying to find the balance and I think understanding kind of the chemistry behind food allows me to find where, um, where I'm comfortable with it. And hopefully eventually like do kind of an education around that too with the company, but that's, you know, down the line, but yeah. That's super cool. And I love what you said about, uh, you know, you tried living it really just like, what if I were to cook from home all the time and just feeling out where the pressure points are? Cause I think that's something I can really relate to. And I think a lot of people can relate to of, frankly. Yeah. Like you said, some stuff is easy to make at home and we all should be making at home, right? Like salad dressing. Like there's no need to buy pre-made salad dressing unless you really love the flavor profile or just have no free time. Uh, mm-hmm. but a vinaigrette is very easy to make. It's like the most basic emulsion there is. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've similarly, like I found stuff like kombucha is actually not that hard to make. Like you have a SCOBY, you add black tea and, and water and it and um, sugar and it, it goes like the bacteria and yeast take care of it. But, you know, making something like your own cheese or like your own beer, like that's a couple of notches up. And yeah, like you said, your almond milk, like the yield is just not great. So I really like this perspective of of meeting folks where they're at and, and also being honest about, yeah, some stuff is worth outsourcing, right? And there's no shame in that. Like, I think that's a really helpful, healthy perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Are there, um, is there, is there any advice you have for folks uh, who are cooking at home these days? Cause I think a lot of us are, you know, stuck in our houses and doing way more home cooking than we thought we would be doing this year. And like you said, like if you do a lot of home cooking, you inevitably run into pain points. Like what, what advice or best practices would you have for home cooks? Yeah. Um, so I like to break things down into components. <laughs> it's kind of the way my mind works. But, you know, I think about, okay, you need a carb, you need, you know, what are your library of grains slash carb bases, like a pasta or, you know, whatever else you may use. Um, And then I, you know, I need a vegetable, always have veggies in the meal and um, a protein source and then some kind of sauce, fat source. Um, So I think about it that way and like what kind of combinations can I make to make things easier during the week? Um, And one thing I started doing a lot of is making sauces ahead of time. Yeah. So you know, if I don't have a lot of time on a weekday, it's just like saute veggie, mix it in with rice. And I have this awesome sauce that just elevates everything in seconds. Um, so I think that, you know, kind of breaking it down helps me. I don't know if that would help other folks too, but like, then you don't have to think of every recipe as an isolated recipe that you have to make every day. Um, and then, you know, I, not to plug my own product, but honestly, like since I've been home a lot more, like I cook a lot of added veggies. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, I go to the, I stock up on vegetables during the week and not, you know, I, planning is one thing, definitely. Like, you know, I try to plan, but I think with all of us with our best intentions and aspirations, even though we try to meal plan, it doesn't always work out. Um, so sometimes I just go to the store and, you know, these days I'm trying to be in and out as quick as I can. Yeah. Um, and I just buy a bunch of vegetables. So then I have some, I know I'll have something to make. Um, and, you know, out of veggies, one way that I use veggies in a variety of, um, recipes, but then, you know, I kind of have my go-tos. Like I was saying, I make a lot of Indian food, like Indian, uh, like a bhaji, which is basically just a mixed vegetable dish. You add a bunch of spices to, <laughs> and it can be a full meal. Um, I do a lot of tacos. Mm-hmm. So I think having also your go-to where like anything can sub in, yep. um, can help a lot as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's really sound. Yeah. Building a little repertoire. Cause I, I, yeah, I think that's, once you have that, you, like you said, you can kind of go iterate and riff from there, but yeah, just have that, that core repertoire. Yeah. It's super helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, what yeah. tips do you have for reducing food waste at home? 
Yeah, I think the, the planning is, you know, a big piece of it. You know, back in the day, I would say, you know, go to the store more frequently and, you know, buy things as you think you need them. Now, I, it's a little different. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, so I think, you know, it's the same kind of thing. And then um, kind of catching stuff before it goes bad and doing something with it. Like, uh, you know, I buy a lot of leafy greens, even though, and then I never... I mean, not never, but I don't often don't get to all of them. Um, so sometimes I try to catch up beforehand, you know, freeze them, make a stock, just saute it and keep it in the fridge. Then it's easy to throw in something. Um, so I think, you know, planning would be the ideal. Um, if not just like trying to do quick fixes and not feeling guilt about it. Don't, don't let yourself get in the veggie guilt, <laughs> Just yes. you know, do what yeah. you can to, to use it in any way. So I I think that's great advice, especially you brought up kale. Uh, That's when I think of veggie guilt, I think of kale because I so often buy kale and chard and they come in these huge bunches and I don't always get to them as soon as I wish. And they get all sad and floppy and they literally looks like a, you know, like a sad puppy. Just like, please use like help. Uh, But yeah, it's it's good. You're, that's a great point. You can't get hung up on that because you know, shame's not going to get you anywhere. And it's, it's just good to learn. And I, I think like your product is such a great example of this idea that I love promoting, which is what I call almost like lifeboat recipes. You know, these ideas of like, there's a way to incorporate the, the odds and ends in your fridge if, if you just get a bit scrappy and a bit creative in the kitchen. And I think what you've done is create an outlet for folks who have that sad kale, that half an onion, that shallot they forgot they had or the stray zucchini like I had. And it, you just, you can turn them into such great meals if you have a little bit of creativity. And in your case, you know, a leg up from a cool product. I, I just think that's really magical. Yeah. And actually a lot of our customers have told us that, that they, they love using it for the veggies that are left over in their fridge. And I'm like, true, I do that too. And I, I think that's a great, you know, way that ad veggie can help with food waste. I haven't figured out the language around it, you know, like hmm. to put it on the box, like great way to use your leftover veggies or something. But I think it's definitely a good tool for, um, yeah, things that are, you know, at the back of your fridge and about to, about to go bad. So Yeah. That's, that's such a great, that's such a great point. And that, that struggle is something, you know, we at Imperfect have uh, struggled with and worked through as well. This food waste brings up a lot of kind of primal emotions. Like one of them we already talked about is shame. Like it, it feels bad to waste food. And so many cultures have huge stigmas around wasting food, I think for this very reason. And I think another thing you brought up is it brings up this level of almost disgust. You know what I mean? We're very cautious of old food. So I could see why like like a lot of companies I don't think want to talk about, like it's a great way to use up that old thing you have, but it's, you know, like we had Dana Gunders on the podcast, who's done a bunch of great research on food waste. And a really amazing point she made was that if you look at the science of it, old food does not make you sick. Like these salmonella and listeria outbreaks, they're not happening from like that old kale, right? That's, they come from contamination, which is like a profoundly different path way for pathogens to enter your body. But I think, you know, like the worst thing that happens, you eat old kale, you get a stomach ache, right? And your, your, uh, your tongue will tell you like this kale is no good and then you spit it out and then you move on. But, but I think it is a hard knot to unravel, right? This idea of, of, uh, how do you get people to kind of make peace with their, their old food? That's, it is yeah. a conundrum. Yeah. No, that's interesting. That's so true. There's like a stigma around it, but we all face it and it's all, it's relatable. So it's like, there's gotta be a way to just kind of embrace <laughs> the fact that it happens and we're going to do our best to reduce our own waste and 
it's not the worst thing in the world if you don't eat the kale the day you buy it. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, I, I, yeah, again, I see flexibility like at the, at the center of like, how do you overcome food waste? In my mind, it often boils down to flexibility, like be versatile, be creative, be scrappy. And again, mm-hmm. you know, huge props for what you're doing because I just, I think your product gives people that little boost they need to get creative. Cause honestly, like before I had tried it, I wouldn't have necessarily made like veggie meatballs on my own or like tried making like a falafel-ish thing. But now like knowing mm-hmm. it's, I have it around in the pantry, it's like, okay, that's, that's an option. Like I just have it in my back pocket. I think it's, it's super cool. You know, y- you've done, mm-hmm. you've, you've done something really inspiring in terms of cr- building your own company, right? Like you've built a food company that I, that solves a problem you yourself saw, you know, do you have any advice for other food entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I think the, the experience I valued the most, you know, especially early on was doing the farmer's markets. Um, you know, I've always come from a background of doing a lot of customer research and, you know, I have my own theories about things, but I like to validate it with others and um, doing the farmer's markets helped me also learn the messaging that would explain the product in the best way, because it is hard. You know, it's a hard one to, to get across. Um, there's not really anything like it. And um, being able to talk to people directly, you know, and then see the same folks every week, like, okay, they bought the mix, they went home, they cooked with it, and they came back and told me the things they thought were you know, confusing about the instructions or, you know, the troubles they had with getting it to form or whatever it is. Right. And then I, I kept iterating. And this was like in the early stages when, um, you know, we, I had a pack, you know, I had the product, I had a package. <laughs> it's not the nice one I have now, but all that work informed how I crafted the messaging now um, and made the product so much better. Uh, so I think, you know, doing that kind of research that being on the ground floor talking to, to folks using your product, um, and be able, and in it, when you're in a place that you can iterate, um, is so worthwhile. And I would highly recommend, um, other entrepreneurs to do that. Um, cause sometimes we can be in a bubble, you know, I've definitely seen it. Like I've been in the food industry for 10 years and I, you know, we all start to think a similar way and, you know, breaking out of that and seeing what actual customers think is so important. Amazing. Is, is there anything, any, uh, you know, maybe early mistakes or things that happened to you that I get what I'm trying to ask. Is, is there anything you wish folks had told you sooner? I mean, it sounds like iterating and talking to the people that are using your product is one. Is there, any, is there any other kind of advice you wish you had been given? As an entrepreneur, just like of things to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I definitely did a lot of things by hand, <laughs> you know, just like starting from scratch, like, you know, worked out of a commissary kitchen, made the product myself. I don't know that I would change that, but I would wish I went in knowing how difficult it would be um, and how hard it would be to kind of have space to do things other than like just making the product. Right. So I think, um, you know, I wish I kind of went in with more open eyes in terms of like where my time could realistically go um, and how the company could grow if I was doing everything um, and kind of figuring out different ways to go about that. So like I said, I don't know if I would do anything too much differently, but um, I might've portioned my time better. that's always something like as an entrepreneur, you're just like, I can do it all. Like when you're, you know, tend to be very ambitious people who work like crazy yeah. you know, hours and, you know, dedicated to your cause. But, um, I think there, you know, what I realized is I had to set certain boundaries around things at some point. I was like, okay, I have to give up doing this so that I can focus on, you know, talking to our customers more or whatever it is that needed to be done. Um, instead of trying to, trying to be a superhero. <laughs> so yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really important lesson that uh, realizing you can't be a martyr and you can't do everything. And at a certain point that that is its own 
skill is learning what to give up doing so that others can, can do it. I think yeah, that's really, really a great point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned you've been in the food industry for a decade. Something I, I really admire, I saw on your Instagram, you've spoken out very candidly about the racism you, you've seen and experienced in the food industry as a woman of color. I think this is really brave of you and really important to share, you know, for folks that haven't seen the post, you know, what kind of racism have you seen in the food world? Yeah, well, you know, for me, it's kind of, I break down in two ways. There's like internally, like the company cultures, right? Um, yeah. And I think that that's what I spoke to mostly. Um, but there's also the external, right? Yeah, in the natural product space, there's not a lot of diversity also in terms of how the products are designed. Um, for example, you know, like at, with Out of Veggie, I wanted to make sure it was something that different cultures could enjoy. Hmm. Um, so I tried to do a lot of research into like, what is it that would make plant-based eating possible um, in other cultural cuisines? And I don't think that kind of thought process goes into product design. Um, so there's so many things to be like a, an accessible product. One is like making something that people want in other cultures, right? Making something that's affordable and then selling it in the points distribution where people can access it. Um, and I just didn't see that focus, you know, across the natural industry. Um, and then, you know, kind of internally, I, I faced just a lot of different terrible company cultures that you know, made me really sad, not only from just my personal experience, but just for like the lack of um, kind of potential that could have been achieved if these companies embraced diversity more. Hmm. And, you know, in my post, I, I kind of alluded to it, but yeah, I see a lot of people posting about, you know, wanting to be, you know, take different diversity initiatives. And I think the one thing I really hope is that they do it um, responsibly hmm. and with a lot of compassion, because um, in my experience, when I've brought up issues about race at work, you know, one, one of the things that, you know, was really um, hard for me to see was a lack of um, diversity in hiring. Yeah. And, you know, we would kind of pass on candidates that, you know, to me, it was obvious, like, it was just because people were not comfortable with that person's, you know, background or the way they spoke or their life experience. But I actually could see it as bringing a ton of value to a relatively homogenous culture. Um, and when I brought it up, you know, the HR kind of responded with like, oh, you know, if you bring up race too often, no one's going to take you seriously. And that was two, only two years ago. And in Berkeley, like, you, wow. you know, you think that um, we just have a long way to go, I guess is my point. And I hope that, you know, not only saying that we're going to embrace diversity as an industry, um, I hope that people really take the steps to understand what that means, um, be open to feedback, yeah. and um, and yeah, just do it with compassion. Uh, I just had a, a big struggle in a lot of cultures I was in. So and I think that plays into what we put out to as an industry, right? That's why the products aren't really meeting needs of diverse communities. Mm. Without diverse company cultures, how can you do that? Um, so, you know, I started down the cook with, you know, all the intentions I've told you about trying to create healthy, accessible products. But I also have this like mission in the back that I don't always put at the forefront of what I say of, um, you know, I just want to show people that you can have a diverse company culture. It's not just out of, you know, being altruistic, it actually will lead to better business results. Um, so that's like something that I just want to um, embrace and, and set an example as, if that makes sense. Totally. And I, I, yeah, I think that's really important to, sh- to, to, it sounds like, you know, correct me if I've uh, understood this right, but part, part of the goal here is to literally just model the type of company you want to see in the world, not even outside of the product, like the type of company, the type of organization you wish had existed. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's just, like I said, so much untapped potential when, you know, candidates of different backgrounds are, are not given a voice. Um, and I think we can, 
can be super successful <laughs> if we take a different approach. And yes, I want to, I want to model that and I, and I hope to, uh, to show that, you know, to the other folks in the industry. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I think that's, that's so powerful. You know, so you, t- you touched on hiring, which I think is obviously huge. And I think a lot of companies, especially in the food space are reckoning with this. Are there other practices or policies you, you kind of would think need to change if we want to, you know, really meaningfully address race in the food world? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of trainings out there and, you know, we looked at some and um, I think a lot of them are great. The one thing I would say that I, I felt was needed that, that was lacking in some of the places I've been is it has to come from the top down. Mm. Like the C-level people have to be like, we are so committed to this and, and do the hard, you know, emotional labor of understanding their own biases and demonstrate to the company that they're working on it and that it's important. Um, and then I think um, that makes it all the more easier for everyone else to follow suit. Um, so, you know, policy-wise, I think, yes, we should make commitments to have more diverse boards because that'll naturally help um, to some degree. But I think there's like an emotional aspect to it that I can't put into policy yeah. <laughs> that I think just has to be embraced from um, the top and then, you know, kind of all levels. But really, like, if that doesn't happen, I just don't think it can work um, throughout the organization as well. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's a part of the conversation that often gets lopped off this idea of creating an emotionally comfortable space and culture, which, yeah, that's harder to quantify. Right. So I think it often gets left out of these reports and metrics, but that is also core to the issue, right? Is literally creating a culture that is welcoming and friendly and accepting. And yeah, I I just appreciate you calling that out because that's, it's so easy to lose that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's really hard. I mean, it's a hard conversation all around for most um, companies, right? Or you know, yeah. just individuals. But um, there's, yeah, there's just this unquantifiable thing that I just see missing. <laughs> and I want to, I want to see it happen more. And I think just with more openness and people being willing to face their own biases. I mean, everyone has biases. And I think that's something that a lot of folks don't want to admit, um, but it makes it so much easier. Absolutely. You know, really well said. I'm, I'm really curious, you know, what's next for you and down to cook and add a veggie? Like what's on the horizon for you? Yeah. So, you know, continuing to help people, you know, incorporate veggies into their meals. Like we, we started with the protein, it's like center of plate. Um, but I have lots of dreams of doing products that um, help people incorporate veggies into, you know, like a cheese sauce or their fat source um, into the carb base. And um, there's lots of ideas around that, that eventually I want to build this kind of ecosystem of products that help people cook veggies that can help them meal plan. So you can really get at the food waste thing, you know, where, you know, I tell you to buy, you know, X amount of, you know, grocery items, and then you will use all the veggies in a variety of ways throughout the week. Um, so that you don't have any food waste. Um, and you're like actually satisfied and like happy with eating purely veggie based, um, food. So that's kind of the, that's the goal that I'm constantly working towards. Um, and then, you know, kind of more tactically, like, you know, right now, um, I'm looking to partner with a lot of folks, the companies and different, um, like CSA services that sell vegetables to make it convenient for people. So they can buy out of veggie, get their cut veggies or, you know, in the same kind of place. And then it can make, be really easy to use. Um, and then continue to like, just do this research of what does it take to make an inclusive product and, and build that into, um, you know, our strategy and our product design and, you know, continue to grow in that way. Amazing. And I realized I, I didn't actually ask earlier on if folks want to get the product and check it out, where can they find it right now? 
So we sell direct on our website. It's okay. downtocookfoods.com. Um, we do sell in some specialty stores like across the country, but um, the, the website would be the easiest one. And then we also are just launching on Amazon. Um, so that would be an even easier way to access uh, the product. Amazing. And I'll have to put yeah. some pressure on the buying team at Imperfect. Hopefully we can get it in our <laughs> service as well because we sell veggies. That would be such a fun little pairing. Uh, just yeah. Thinking out loud awesome. here slash hoping it manifests grocery team if you're listening. Um, amazing. <laughs> and I, I feel like these days we could all use some levity. So before we get to the speed round, I did want to bring up while researching yeah. for this episode, I, I learned that you used to do or still do stand up comedy. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I don't do it anymore. And actually, it's it's pretty hard. Like a lot of my friends that do stand up, like they're doing Zoom shows right now. Yeah. Um, but I stopped. I actually stopped like a year ago. Uh, I you know I've been doing stand up for several years. Um, I did it after I left my first job. You know, I took kind of like a break uh, to think about what I wanted to do, and um, it ended up being something I just truly loved because it was like this platform to say what you think. But then you have to, like, if you craft jokes in the right way, you can bring a lot of awareness to issues um, and make them relatable. So I just kind of loved that um, ability to do that, to reach people, to make, like, my personal experience, even though, like, yeah, maybe they didn't grow up with, like, immigrant parents from India, but they could understand what my life experience was like um, through my jokes. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, kind of morphed into different things. Like, it started a lot, like, about my, my upbringing and my culture, and then it was just anything I found funny. Like, you know, I had trouble opening a pickle jar. I've read a joke about that. <laughs> or like, um, and then in the last like um, bit, my most recent material was a lot about the workplace discrimination stuff. It was both an outlet for me to be able to process some of it, um, you know, kind of reach people who maybe also felt the same things, but didn't, you know, have a place to kind of say it or, you know, feel heard. So I tried to make that stuff into jokes. It was very difficult. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but no, stand-up is, and also I would say like, it's just a great, um, it's a great way to get, I don't know, like a professional way to say this, but more woke. <laughs> like, oh, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 100%. Could, yeah, like you, the community there is just so smart. And um, to really understand, to make jokes about issues, you really have to understand the deep roots of them. Um, so it made me a, a better person. Uh but no, the last year I had to stop because um, I just had a baby. So I was pregnant the last year. <laughs> and then I also, you know, running down to cook and then the late nights doing stand up. Like I just had to put a pause, but it's something that's always kind of near and dear to my heart. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I love what you said that, you know, comedy in some way is a bridge to empathy. And I think that's so important. You know, I feel like a lot of people view uh, food as like kind of the soft bridge to other cultures. Like it's a way to understand somewhere they come from and their upbringing. I think that's true and important. And I think comedy is almost the flip side. It's almost the kind of harsh, like you said, kind of way to prod people into wokeness. Cause yeah, like a, jokes bring up some intense stuff. I mean, some of the work I saw from you talks about racial biases and, but you bring them up in a very funny way that makes you understand in a new way. Oh, wow. Like I really need to think deep about this and think about what my implicit biases are when I see someone on the street. And I, I love that idea that through comedy and through food, you can, you can bring up and surface these discussions that can be hard to have, but, uh, but give people kind of the foundation they need to really m move in the right direction. Yeah, 
Totally. Oh, thanks for watching my clips. I can't uh, believe you watched them. <laughs> oh, no, they were great. It was, it was super fun. Honestly, I've really been missing stand-up comedy in person. It's something I used, I used to go out and see in Oakland a fair amount. It's actually, I had my first date with my girlfriend at a comedy club in Oakland. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just near and dear to my heart. And obviously it's all over Netflix, but there's something really special about the live environment, which obviously is totally forbidden right now with COVID, all the droplets in the indoor space. But uh, yeah, comedy is, is, is a special part of our culture. And I feel like it keeps keeps the flame alive for a lot of really important discussions. Yeah, um, totally. Amazing. All right, let's get into the speed round. These are some fun questions to conclude with, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, the first one is, is there anything you would encourage folks listening to follow up with or explore in more time, uh, in more depth on their own time? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've, I've talked through like addressing racial biases a lot already, but um, I guess it's a, you know, a unique time in, in this country. And I think it can be an opportunity for us to really elevate, um, together. So I, you know, I'd encourage folks in the food industry, you know, outside, whatever, whatever it is, your, whatever your microcosm is, right? Like if you are, you know, in some other industry or some, you have some other community where it could benefit from open discussions, like be brave and, and open those discussions and, um, be an ally if, if that's kind of the position you can be in. But, um, I guess I'm just hoping that this can be a real leap forward, not just a step. And um, I hope more pe- more people can kind of take on that uncomfortable um, persona and, and you know make make this world a better place. I think we we're seeing a lot of outrage, and I'm hoping that can translate to to some real change. <laughs> so, yeah. Hundred percent. I had a coworker put it to me the other day that what if 2020 isn't canceled? That what if this is the year we need it? You know. And I, I, I'm a silver linings type of guy, so I hope that's true. Yeah, same, same. Uh, what is a positive change you made in your life in the past year that you think folks listening should try? Yeah, um, well, I had a baby and, you know, I think with uh, sheltering in place, it's great. <laughs> you have a lot of entertainment at home. <laughs> Not that people should go have babies, but, <laughs> um, you know, honestly, it's hard for me to think of anything because like, outside of running down to cook and focusing on like how to be a new mom, like that's been my life. Uh, we, you know, also we've become vegetarian and like as part of, um, just everything it's kind of long overdue. I was vegetarian in college and then somehow I strayed and now I'm back to it. Um, but I think that has been a really positive change and it hasn't been as hard once I kind of did the hard work to figure out what it would take. Mm. Um, so not that, you know, I want to force other folks to do it, but I think it's incredible interesting to explore because it helps with a lot of, you know, there's the environmental aspect, but I think personally it's made me feel better too. So yeah. Amazing. And if you're so babies coming, and veggies, babies and veggies, <laughs> <laughs> is that the title of your forthcoming memoir? I, it just came out right now. Maybe. <laughs> this, this podcast is the first chapter. Amazing. Yeah. Um, if you're cooking for somebody and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them? So I would make the a big Indian spread, right? The whole thing, the the vegetable dish, the lentils, you know, a palau, um, a cook, you know, a cashew curry is kind of my favorite thing to make because it's really like filling and um, delicious. <laughs> so, you know, Indian food is not something I I cook like the whole spread. Often, my mom would do that growing up. Usually, I'll just do rice and the veggies. But you know, if I want to make someone feel real good, uh, I'll do the whole thing. <laughs> wow. Know? 
Yeah. That, that sounds delightful. I, I'm really craving Indian food now. <laughs> I, 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 on a, I have such a soft spot for it. I grew up eating a ton of it in, in Berkeley. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, just this, this I, I'm honestly curious. Are, do you have any tips for making Indian food at home? Because Speaking for myself, I struggle to make it sometimes. Uh, I think the spice combos feel like they're really hard to nail, and I know it's a, yeah. you have to be very really respectful of the aromatics and the spices. So, are there are there any tips you have for making a, a if you want to you know do a lavish spread for someone like how how would you go about that? Yeah, you know, so I cook Punjabi style food, and it, actually, like the base spices are, are pretty similar across dishes. And once you kind of get comfortable with those, then you can make a variety of things. Um, so I'll always, you know, I'll start with, you know, heating the oil, then throwing in some cumin seeds, you know, let them pop, um, and you can you can smell it like you're talking about aromatics, and you know when they're kind of ready. Then put in the onions, garlic, ginger, sauté those, um, and then put in whatever it is. If you're making a veggie dish, add the veggies in. Um, and then the spices I add kind of when the veggies are half cooked um, oh. so that the spices don't get too roasted are um, turmeric, uh, coriander powder, uh, red chili powder, and, um, and, and garam masala if it's like a lentil dish. But if it's just veggies, I don't add garam masala. And like that and then fresh cilantro, boom. Like it's pretty easy and delicious and you don't have to go crazy with a bunch of, I know if you try to make your own fresh garam masala, that's a, it could be overwhelming, but you can buy some pretty great ones out there. You don't have to, to do that. Um, but yeah, those base ingredients, you can make a, a lot of different things. Amazing. Uh, that's super helpful. And I guess I should also caveat this with, I understand Indian food is a, a huge, um, what's the word? It's like a huge tapestry of different sub cuisines. So I don't mean to suggest that Indian food is one thing or that you uh, are the yeah. only person qualified to speak on it. Um, but I'm also always curious to learn more uh, just cooking tips from people that have an expertise about stuff. And you know, I, w- I watched the David Chang's Ugly Delicious. Have you seen that show? He has, yeah. an, ep- he has an episode all about curry, which does like to your point earlier, it kind of prods you towards wokeness about Indian food that frankly, <laughs> what a lot of like white folks like me grew up eating is like a tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg of what Indian cuisine actually is. And uh, yeah, that, I, as I understand it, there's a lot of uh, diversity out there. Sorry, that's sort of a tangent, but I, I, yeah. I did, did want to bring that no, up no in, light, in light of our representation discussion earlier. <laughs> it, it, it is important to acknowledge. Um, yeah. Is what ingredient could you not live without, and why? <laughs> Actually, cumin. Uh, mm. I love like not only for Indian food, but like I make a lot of Mexican food. I just think it's like the best flavor <laughs> yeah. to round things out um, and add some depth. So yeah, that's probably my go-to for a lot of dishes. Amazing. It's actually, it's my favorite spice too. I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, what is your least favorite thing to waste? Uh, avocados, mm. just because they're so delicious, expensive, and just like it hurts when you open one up <laughs> and it's brown. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So. The, the oxidized avo pain, uh, it's, it's real. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what is your go to karaoke song? Um, yeah, kind of old school. I like Destiny's Child, uh, Survivor. <laughs> it's just a fun, easy one to sing. <laughs> yeah. Although the, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. The outro is longer than you think it is. If you do it, cause I've done that one in karaoke and there's a lot of yelling what for like two minutes. At the end. <laughs> but it's like, if you're into it, it is, I a hundred percent agree. It's a, it's a great time. Um, yeah. amazing. Who is somebody you admire tremendously and what do you admire about them? Yeah. You know, I'd have to say my parents, um, yeah, kind of talking about my life experiences and the difficulties I've had in the food industry, 
theirs are vastly even more, right? Like they moved to this country, worked several jobs to make a living for us so that, you know, I could get on stage and whine about workplace discrimination, right? So it's just um, something I'm always grateful for, the struggles that they've done uh, or dealt with so that, um, you know, I could live the life that I have. And, and the fact that they like just don't complain. I mean, not that they have every right to complain, but like just so um, positive and loving and, just, I never knew the experiences they had when I was growing up until now. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they dealt with it and um, made a life for us is just amazing to me. So, you know, whenever I'm struggling with things, I just try to remember, like, be strong. Like, you know, we're, every generation is going to have a, you know, hopefully a better, easier time and um, we'll make changes. And, you know, they started that. And I just have to remember um, that every time that I'm feeling it. So my parents. <laughs> Awesome. That's, that's an important thing to remember. Uh, always. I definitely agree. Um, and finally, what are you grateful for this week? So talking about my baby, the one thing she started doing is she started smiling a lot. And I know that sounds really trivial, but like, man, when you're having a rough day, like having a just beautiful smile, like right back at you is the best. Um, so now that she started doing that, it just warms my heart. Um, and, uh, yeah. I'm grateful for her presence and for her like growing and being this beautiful being that uh, I just can't, couldn't have even imagined before um, having her. So, yeah. That's really touching. Thank you for sharing. Um, Trisha, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? So our, our website, uh, downtocookfoods.com, we also have a newsletter where we put out, you know, different uh, recipes, but also kind of just news, things that are happening um, with Down to Cook and we know how we're progressing. Um, our Instagram feed is also pretty active. Um, well, not recently, but <laughs> I'm working on it and it will be. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the, the website would be the best um, and the newsletter for up-to-date information about what we're doing with Down to Cook. Amazing. And uh, yeah, definitely. I would second what you said about the Instagram. It's definitely worth a follow. Uh, and don't worry about it not being the most active. You're a new mother who's also <laughs> running a company. You have no need to apologize for Instagram. <laughs> You're killing it on every level one can do so. Um, Thank you. Amazing. Uh, this has been a true pleasure. We'll have links to everything we talked about in our show notes and at our website, unwastedpodcast.com. And I should also plug, we have a new content site, thewholecarrot.com, where we share all of these podcasts as well as recipes, blog articles, lots of food for thought there. Give it a uh, check it out if you haven't already. And if you're listening, have any comments or questions, shoot us an email at feedback at unwastedpodcast.com. Trishna, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 